Yeah, I mean, it's the leaven, you know, this this idea that Jesus brings about, about the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of the Sadducees, but the idea being that leaven is this invisible agent that gives rise, right, to bread. And for me, whiteness is that leaven. It is that invisible agent that gave rise to white Jesus, that gives rise to Christian nationalism, that gives rise to anti-blackness in the church. Um, and so to me, it was a really helpful metaphor for how subtle and pervasive whiteness can be, especially, you know, obviously here in America. Welcome to The Models We Live By the podcast that explores how overcoming the mental models we all hold on to can help us grow to become better humans. Hey, Tamise, how Hello. are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Mish? Doing good. I'm so happy to see you for people that don't know it. Know. We are in the same city. I know, like not even 10 minutes away. Like what's going on? How how did we never meet before? <laughs> That's divine in my opinion, I think. We we've been saying. asking for community. So like seriously, we've been like looking for and asking for community for about a year. Oh, so everything that yeah. is so awesome are yeah. you officially from here so yeah i went to college here i'm officially from chesapeake oh, so nice. two hours from here yeah yeah and then i came i went to vcu for mm -hmm. college and then i moved to kansas city and then i moved to atlanta and then i came back that's a whole trip of the u.s right yes, there it is it is very interesting <laughs> cities both of them yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. well i'm so happy that you're here physically today but also that we're in the same city yes. i can't wait to hang out more with you i know you. it's gonna be fun i'm awesome. already planning it I'm let's like, go exactly <laughs> got kids too man yeah 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 Oof. so you have kids can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about who tamis is yes. and i always have this sneaky question yeah what is your purpose oh yeah yeah this is something i've been thinking about uh so i have a daughter named harlem she's named after harlem renaissance she's five well, it turns five on Thursday. And then I have a spouse who is non-binary named Ellison. Um, and yeah, we live here in Richmond. Uh, and then I think my purpose, I've been thinking about it. I feel like there is a ship that's kind of uh, this. I, I'm a very visual person. So the visual I have is like being the last person onto this boat that is leaving the dock. And, you know, the boat is leaving toxicity. It is leaving evangelicalism. And yes. I feel like I'm the last person like, come on, like last call. I will not stay on this dock. I will not stay in this area, <laughs> but I will wait to the last minute to get the rest of y'all off. And so I, th I really do feel like that because I think my writing and the way that I communicate is always thinking about that person who is really bound up in it, yeah. but also extremely sincere. Yeah. And so I want to be circumspect about that. And I want to be gentle with that person, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to compromise. That's right. <laughs> you know, so I think that's my purpose. Yeah. I like that purpose. Yeah. It's I like, that's what I'm here to do. Like Lord of the Rings. If Middle Earth yes. was toxicity. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> leave leave these last ships to the elven whatever that's that is right yeah i know that's right let's dream that up how that looks like though that would be really cool it'd be a cool tattoo too now think about oh. it <laughs> i'm if starting to run out of space <laughs> you don't have any real estate left Mish. yeah i just got <laughs> my top top left arm done yeah by a girl named betsy 
here oh, nice. in, in Richmond. Okay. In unkindness art. Unkindness, unkindness tattoos. Art. Okay. Unkindness tattoos. Which is funny because they're very kind. Yeah. They're very friendly there. <laughs> it's like nothing like a tattoo shop. You come in. They gave me vegan lunch the other day. What? Everybody's so friendly. Oh, this is good But they all look badass. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna. Tattied. I'm not gonna look at you because you're probably gonna. <laughs> No, but then they're super friendly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love tats. I yeah, love them. Good. Yours look that's great, good. too. Thanks. So now that Thanks. I know, I might have to go because I'm trying to fi- finish my other arm. Mm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very nice. So, wow. I like that purpose. Yeah. I like that purpose a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm coming into that. Yes. Yeah. It's making sense to me now, especially yes. now. <laughs> right now. And one of the ways that you're kind of like embracing that purpose mm-hmm. is I just bought your book, started reading it. Super cool. Thank I you. love to support local artists and hey. authors. Yeah. So let's go. Thank you. Especially thank artists you. and authors of color. So yeah, thank you. I love, I love the topic. This is a big, mm. big endeavor, big work. Yeah. So I always have to ask how how did this idea for your book came about and can you tell a little bit about your book in general so i wrote a book and it's called faith unleavened the wilderness between trayvon martin and george floyd and i wrote it as kind of a catharsis as a way of telling myself my story in a lot of ways because the things that happened to me in the midst of being in white evangelicalism for a long time, I felt I deserved them and they were my fault. But in writing this book, I basically talk about how the death of Trayvon Martin really woke me up to this leaven of white supremacy that was in my theology and in the way I did my faith and that it was killing me. Um, And so there came this point in 2015 where I realized that whiteness and Jesus were mutually exclusive and then I could chuck one without having to chuck the other. And I was in this conundrum for a very long time. Like, you know, white Jesus is basically a terrorist to me, (laughs) but I also have encountered someone in these scriptures and these gospels, especially, and I don't know how to navigate this. And so when Trayvon died, it was the first time I really let myself go. Something's wrong. And so I went on this decades long journey and that's what kind of is in the midst of the book. I um, talk about domestic violence in the book. I talk about meeting my new spouse. I talk about my daughter. I just tell the story of how I got into and out of white evangelicalism. First mm. of all, I love when it's a story because mm-hmm. when you see it in three, I'm, I'm inviting theologians. Yes. Theologians have, have this tendency of writing complex books. Yes. And your book is complex, but mm-hmm. it's accessible. I think which I is so that. important. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's what I want. So that that's really encouraging. Um, Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't yet, buy the book. It buy is book. called Faith Unleavened. And yes, exactly. When I saw the title mm-hmm. Faith Unleavened, I'm like, well, I'm wondering where the title comes from. That's, yes. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the leaven, you know, this this idea that Jesus brings about, about the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of the Sadducees. But the idea being that leaven is this invisible agent that gives rise, right, mm-hmm. to bread. And for me, whiteness is that leaven. It is that invisible agent that gave rise to white Jesus, that gives rise to Christian nationalism, that gives rise to anti-blackness in the church. Yes. Um, and so to me, it was a really helpful metaphor for how subtle and pervasive whiteness can be, especially, you know, obviously here in America. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. 
I'm just curious because I'm that kind of person because I started writing a book, but I've been working on it for a year and I haven't <laughs> gotten very far. What is, what is your writing process like? Um, well, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> the same. <laughs> Not what I want to hear. <laughs> to be honest, I, I do enjoy some, some help from my friends from the earth. And so I, I usually will do some sativa, sit nice. in a room with a candle let's go and write and sometimes i'll put on like hip-hop music sometimes i'll put on like you know binaural beats but i've um that's my process when people ask about that process now i don't recommend that for everyone <laughs> but for me that really helps because it gets it gets me out of my way yeah and so and there's still things that i have to work through as i'm writing because that stuff gets lodged i mean there are still times when I go to do something that would have been so sinful, you know, before or something I would have had mm. to like go to an accountability partner about. And you still have those weird feelings of like, what is this? <laughs> I feel caught in between two places. Yes. Um, and so to me, Sativa helps with that. So yeah, I can really yeah. get to the core of my story yeah, let's um, go. and write about it. So there was that. The other thing I would say was really helpful was having, you know, a lot of friends around me that had spaces I couldn't afford that let me use those spaces, right? To yes. go and write and be alone. And so I had, I can't say that I did it by myself. I mean, my partner was amazing. My friends and chosen family were amazing. It really yes. makes space for it. They all believed in the work. Boom. So that's been my process, yeah. And drawing yeah. from journals, <laughs> old evangelical journals. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you though, I'm being in between, like I had that conversation with Matthias Roberts, L yes. literally, I don't know if it made it on air, but we were talking about how how is it still that I watch a show and I see like a gay scene, a gay sex scene. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, that's wrong. I'm like, wait, mm -hmm. what? Wait, here <laughs> we are. <laughs> what what is going on? <laughs> and and he was like, oh yeah, just had it this morning. Yeah, right. It's true. It's very we're true. Stuck. Yeah, I mean, the stuff gets lodged, and that's what I mean. It's not it's not a game. I mean, we really do have to recognize that stuff and get it up and out like you know and surrounding ourselves with people who have said we don't do leaven we don't do the leaven of whiteness and so if we recognize it in one another or we recognize that one or the both of us is kind of bowing to that yeah. then we just call it out right because ultimately we want freedom for one another and that's not gonna give Ooh. it to you <laughs> yeah i love I need, I, need, sure. I need to hear that yeah. i think in our journey Kim and me just got to that conclusion of we give people too much uh, leeway. Mm -hmm. We allow them to to utilize or use us too much within their own journeys. Mm -hmm. And and I can do that in my professional mm -hmm. workspace, but mm -hmm. in my personal private sphere, it needs to be safe yes. always. Mm -hmm. I need to be surrounded by my friends mm -hmm. that are always safe, mm -hmm. that know of my trans journey in this mm -hmm. case, that mm -hmm. know of my Asian-ness mm -hmm. and how important that is for mm -hmm. me. I don't want to hear comments about, but really me, she don't look Asian. I don't want to have those mm -hmm. conversations yeah. anymore. Not I in 2023. Be... Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we're not doing that. It, exactly. <laughs> not, we're not doing that post-pandemic. We ain't got time. Exactly. We do not have time. So I like yeah. how you how you phrase that. Yeah. Uh, so you got a ton of de degrees. I'm I like, do. I got two, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I got two degrees and I, I like that because it's like you're saying, like, I like having those receipts of knowing that, you know, in my mind, there is a 
white male cishet patriarchal pastor in the back of my head and I always hear what their response to what I say is gonna be Uh so I talk to that guy I talk to that guy in my head when I put stuff out or at least I have an answer for him in my head because I know how people work and they will try to come for well you're not educated or you're you know you don't have as much experience no baby I got all of that and so I might say this one thing that makes sense for somebody that's 20 but you know trust and believe I have something in my head theologically sound enough right right. to say no this is actually you know this is actually legitimate way to think about God to think about life to think about faithfulness and so I I do appreciate like my journey with school because it gives me a little bit of that grounding to know no I know I've got receipts like I read this and I've read you know scholarly articles and like had to study this and so I feel like that gives me I guess you would say a boldness or like a freedom, I think, to say what I want to say in these streets. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And on top of that, the the thought leaders, my my speciality is leadership, but it's Mm -hmm. all seminary, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Your your speciality is is leadership. Mm -hmm. I I, Mm -hmm. I saw that you also studied leadership. Yes. Mm -hmm. The thought leaders that have influenced me most are white men. Mm-hmm. Like Annie McKee is one exception mm-hmm. of the whole bunch. Wow. We yeah. need new voices. That's true. They are genius. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been it's been a male dominated field absolutely. for ages. So we need new voices. Yes, absolutely. And I think the, the people that don't get heard from the most are womenist theologians. Yes. Who have who live at so many intersections right. of being marginalized that I would I don't understand why we're not listening more to those voices. I mean, I want theology from somebody who who really needs theology that works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what really does I think about? OK. John Piper, right? Let's just use that name. What does he really have to teach me <laughs> about life in this world? That's right. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I can learn about homaratology and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I want to know if God is still pissed about the fact that like Tyree Nichols is dead, right? Yes. Like, that's what I care about. And you can have your theological terms, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's some pressing more yeah. pressing things yeah i mean people people are like not i think that this generation and what we were talking about before you know people are just not even thinking about god the same way mm-hmm. they they feel a sense of freedom to go i refuse to worship that you know and i think that that a lot of the evangelical spaces i'm in don't know how to handle that so what we get right. is a lot of um character assassination and like um, name calling and Mm. rejection of people and don't listen to this person they're dangerous and I remember that from that world but if it's true what are y'all afraid of if you'd like to dive deeper on this topic and you got curious about the book go check out Tamisa's book at faithunleavened.com Tamise also has a podcast called Life After Levin with Tamise Spencer-Helms. Find it on your favorite app. That's the hard part in this time and space where I feel that the criticism that we get to endure against womanist mm-hmm. theology, mm-hmm. against queer, the, mm-hmm. the emerging field of yes. queer Ooh, theology, yes. mm-hmm. uh, black theology, and, and overall liberation theology, mm-hmm 
is that is that it's either not well researched or it's contextually irrelevant but that's that's <laughs> missing the part that they are speaking from a theology of convenience yes that is exactly right Oof. <laughs> <laughs> did you just come up with that Mish? i heard you talk i'm like yeah that's very john piper is it's very convenient wow i mean yeah you don't have to put it to, it's fool's gold it yeah. shines the same but it ain't worth nothing exactly, exactly. you know what i mean like it's really not and i think you know in the book i come to that realization like Oof. white jesus can't help me with these black bodies yeah white jesus hates the black body because whiteness is predicated on anti-blackness yeah so how am i supposed to find solace in this yeah right um and it just became clear because i was watching the responses of people to blm right yeah and then you enter into donald trump Right. And I'm going, what is embedded in the way that you think about the Bible and God that has you reject Obama, right? Mm -hmm. Be mad about BLM and vote for Donald Trump. That's right. It's like a Venn diagram. <laughs> White Jesus is smack dab in the middle of yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I'm, I'm at this point in my life, at my age, I'm like, why Jesus has to kick rocks. I, I can't do this shit. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm pushing I, forward. I hear you. Yeah. That's exactly it. And and the message should be that that I hear you say I escaped white mm -hmm. Jesus evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. I escaped yes. white Jesus evangelicalism. Yes. I was one of the people that said stuff that I'm looking back and like, oh, I should have probably not said those yes. things. Uh -huh. But guess what? It's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. As long as we self-reflect. Yes. As, as long as we own those things, yes. move on from them and then tell our neighbor, hey, yes. guess what I just discovered? Yeah. I've been an ass and I'm trying to change. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. It's so funny because I think when you ask me about the book, that's kind of part of it is like here's what was going on and being aware that I probably caused harm um, in the places I was in the things I said the things right. I discipled right. young people into was harmful to them yeah and I have to own that but I think the book for me is like hey guys this is what was going on <laughs> with me and here's the why behind all yeah. of that what um, so it feels like a kind of a birthing and also a closure yeah you know at the same time yeah, I like I, I understand now better when you said it was a cathartic experience yeah. because like going through it mm -hmm. and and probably growing alongside yes. it with it mm -hmm. where you see your brain and your soul and heart literally grow through yes. your writing process. That's yes. beautiful. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing <laughs> thing. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm proud of it. Absolutely. You know, it's a good book. I mean Absolutely. I think um my main thing is like I remember being you know, obviously I would say I'm a theologian, but you know, you, you, you always have all of these books and you know, a lot of them are thick and very dense yeah. and we really don't read them front uh -huh. to back. And to me it was like, no, I really, I think what I have to say is important enough to write a book that is easy to digest. Yes. And most of the, um, the comments that I've received have been like, took me two days. I read it in one day. I stayed up all night. Let's you know, go. so I'm like, yes, that's what I really wanted. I want you to receive this whole meal. Yeah. Um, and that's been really encouraging to oh, me. Oh, that is great. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about this this topic of bad theology yes. and theology, what are some things that, that come to mind right away where you say mm -hmm. where you think, okay, 
What are some bizarre outcomes that mm-hmm. you've seen in your lives yeah. that are directly related to bi- bad the- theology? Yeah. I mean, I think in my life, the main way I've seen it show up has was uh, staying in an abusive marriage. Mm. Um, I had been so conditioned not to listen to myself or my gut because my heart was deceitfully wicked above all else. I had been conditioned not to pay attention to my body because purity culture and we beat our body and we make it our slave. You know, there are all of these, um, like you're saying, very convenient ways um, where I was policing my own thought. And that is probably the worst part of it is that some of this theology is so toxic that you become your own worst enemy. You turn against yourself. Um, And I think for me, that is the major way in my life bad theology uh, showed up because I kept, even when I would feel like I wanted to leave, I mean, there were times, Mish, where I felt like I was going to have a stroke. Like that's how stressed and um, living in an abusive, especially in a narcissistic abusive relationship where it's like constant. Um, You don't have voice. Um, no one's listening to you um, and things are being said about you and said to you that are like, I know that can't be true, but it's happening so much and the barrage of it is so much that the only thing to do is dissociate. Yes. Um, and so to me, after I had my daughter in that marriage, it was like my daughter kind of shook me, you know, yes. something just came out of my body. My body is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, I just yes, brought a human amen. into the world. I need to actually maybe start paying attention to this body of mine. Mm. Uh, and when I did, I ended up, <laughs> ended up getting divorced and ended up coming out as queer. And now Let's I'm leaning go. into being non-binary and what that means. I feel like I'm kind of discovering myself, but bad theology to me, the worst theology is the theology that says that something is wrong with you. And I think, I honestly think that that's what's happening in the garden, right? Like who told you you were naked? That's right. What's wrong with Nothing's being naked? Nothing's wrong with you. Yeah. That's what it was. That's like it lie. wasn't about of like all of this other stuff they make it. It's really like, mm. wait a minute. That's not who you are. <laughs> shame seeped in right away right away self-loathing seeped in right away right away i mean i've been thinking about genesis 3 for probably two and a half years because <laughs> i think it explains so much mm-hmm. and then as an origin story it's so fascinating to me because i think i do i do believe that the scripture the hebrew scriptures really do say a lot of true things about life and humanity right yeah um and i buy into it it's my thing (laughs) but i'm thinking about genesis 3 because how do we explain why we're like this right yes i think it's connected to shame more than it more than something sinister right you know what i mean and we've missed that it's right there it's right there and then you've got brene and them coming out like vulnerability that's the key right nakedness is about vulnerability who said there was something wrong being vulnerable i got you Where'd y'all go? Why are y'all hiding? Like, what is going on, <laughs> right? I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> I just want to be, and I want you to be. Yes. What happens is, like, they stop being, and I think that's, I think that's what's happening. I haven't arrived yet. I'm still, no, I'm still chewing on it, you know. <laughs> but I'm I think it's a very interesting myth and origin yeah. story. Yeah, I really yeah, yeah. do. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely resonate with that part because I'm trying to connect that to queer. Yes. I'm trying to connect that to. Yes where I think queer people specifically understand ambiguity yes, and living in that ambiguity and understanding that we need to embrace ourselves first. Mm-hmm. We cannot use Jesus as a crutch. 
we cannot use antidepressants as a crutch. Yes. Not, we need to first embrace ourselves and be happy. Yes. For use, it's yes. non-binary. For me, it's being yes. fully embracing myself as a woman. Yes. But living in a constant yoke of of oppression mm -hmm. from that, right? And and in that ambiguity mm -hmm. makes us, I believe, better capable, at least in this time and space in history, mm -hmm. to understand what's going on. Yes. We have a lot of ambivalence and ambiguity in, in how we interpret scripture stories yes. now and how we raise our kids right yes. now. Everything is different from even 20 years ago. Yes. I mean, Eminem was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <Now that's> <laughs> <laughs> Let's just think about that. I feel that. I definitely feel like a geriatric millennial when I think yeah, about right? like when I came of age. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really oh. getting old in these streets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff is cracking and popping and <laughs> snapping like you. Rice Krispies. I'm 41. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I turn yes. 40 next year in January. It's happening. It's happening. That being said, being 40 is great. Yeah, that's what I hear. I'm it's excited. Great. I'm excited. Because, you know, in your 30s, you thought, hmm, people are finally taking me a little bit serious. And now I'm 40. And I take myself serious. That's right. And that's all that matters. That's right. Yeah. The important part. You don't give people an option. Right? That's right. If you ain't gonna take me seriously, Listen, you don't get me. Yeah, <laughs> right? I've, I've lived on this earth for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. This is important and this is not. Exactly. That's how easy it is. <laughs> it's very freeing, though. Now I know why, like, old people are like, whatever, I'm living my best life. Like, what you mean? <laughs> I'm finally 60. Understand. <laughs> I finally understand. Exactly it's like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. No, I want everybody to know how smart I am. Now I'm like, who cares? Who I cares? just want people to know that I'm a good cook and that they're always welcome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's beautiful though how your values change with age. Yes. You know, I'm I'm really I'm like, I like this age. I like I like yes. where I'm at, you know? Yes. I'm feeling it. Yes, yeah. but because of that, we've been able to witness the 90s and the mm -hmm. early 2000s mm -hmm. where we're like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like there's this TikToker that rewatches Disney movies and stuff like that. And really? He, and he responds to it and like, and he pretends he's two people. Wow. Like, Are you uncomfortable too? Yes, yes. I'm, ver I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> you have now. You to tell me who that is. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I'll send it to you. Yeah. So it was the scene of the Aristocats. Yeah. And I have so many fond memories of the Aristocats. Yes. And they're watching it, and there's a warning yes. from Disney that says this this movie may contain some scenes that some viewers may find disturbing, and wow. and then they talk to each other. Like, wow! I only have good memories of this show, of this movie, <laughs> and the other one is like, yeah, me too. And then they get to the end, and it's a Siamese cat. Yes. Full fledged Chinese caricature. Oh my the gosh. Way like every it's so racist yes. it's so incredibly racist <laughs> oh it's it's interesting too because i just watched we just watched um princess and the frog true story we watched it this uh, this past weekend me ellison in harlem mm -hmm. and i remember being so afraid in that film because it's in louisiana and the draw and all of that stuff and you know the dad cartoon and i kept thinking oh my god somebody's gonna be lynched like i just could not <laughs> oh. It was so, I couldn't like just oh watch everything. this cartoon yeah. without being afraid for these black people in this movie. Like something's about to happen. It was really an interesting feeling to go, yes. wow, I can't even watch like cartoons now without feeling racial trauma. Yes. Um, and yes. that was very interesting to me and thinking through all of these movies. And I never saw, you know, in Princess and the Frog, I just, I'm, I'm 39. I saw it for the first time yeah. because of bad theology. Right. Mm hmm. Because you're told this movie is about voodoo and it's about um, 
all kinds of evil and wickedness. That was a caricature that was given to me my whole growing up, right? Wow. But then you watch it and really it just decenters whiteness in all the songs. Ooh. When you watch it and you look at, uh, I'm, I'm on a spiel right now. Yeah, let's go. Princess and the Frog, but it's like, <laughs> here we are. But when you watch it, there's Mama, there's Mama Juju, mm-hmm. right? Mama Odie. And this is the... Um, the black African Vodun, like the beautiful, light-filled, colorful way of thinking about the divine, right? Yeah. And then you have the dark side, right, of this. And it's very interesting how these things work in tandem when we think about darkness and light and all of these things. Mm. It was just a very interesting way of going, you know what? They said this whole movie was evil, but right. Mama Odie is doing juju, but it's bringing life and light and mm. color into the story, right? Right, right. And I've learned that in my own journey of like going back to my African ancestry and my roots, yes. right? Of like some of these things were really purposeful and tactile for a reason. And whiteness told me that that was wicked. But it was really interesting to watch that movie at this age with my daughter who was not afraid at all. She was not afraid of that stuff. She liked the songs. She was like, wow, this is so beautiful. All the colors. She's dancing around. Like, oh, it was like, wow. Now I want to watch it with my kids. Oh my I'm gosh, excited. watch it. It's so interesting. I'm excited. It is so interesting to me. They're, they they just decenter whiteness in the stories, basically. But what, nothing's wrong with that, right? No, I like that, that statement right what, there. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why they thought it was wicked. It's exactly <laughs> with thinking about that bad theology and thinking about how white missionaries came into yes. indigenous spaces, like thinking about like Papua New Guinea, yes. thinking about Indonesia, they saw people in their eyes dressed up naked, mm-hmm. not not covering body mm-hmm. parts, perhaps having marital values that were not the same mm-hmm. as yes. the white people. Mm-hmm. So two things happened, right? One, mm-hmm. they were not pure and the white people were pure. Mm-hmm. And two, because they were not pure, they mm-hmm. were subhuman. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Everything that follows up. I had a conversation with Angie, Angie Hong specifically yeah. about this topic, mm-hmm. like exotification of mm-hmm. Asian people and how you can see them as subhuman. Mm-hmm. So when when you sexually assault an asian person mm-hmm. it's okay they're subhuman it's not mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. your pure religion that's exactly right it's it's just so interesting how that stuff gets embedded oof <laughs> <laughs> feeling that yeah I'm feeling that yeah and and i'm i'm beating myself up in a good way that it took me so long mm-hmm. to embrace mm-hmm. because Growing up, I was taught to be presented as mm-hmm. pure and as white as possible. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why people say you don't look Asian, even though it hurts me now. Mm-hmm. There's a reason because mm-hmm. my parents taught me to be that way. Mm-hmm. They taught me to hide my Judaism mm-hmm. and they definitely taught me to hide my transness. Wow. So yeah. passing, passing as a mm-hmm. white male mm-hmm. has been embedded in me and I'm just coming to terms with that. If you enjoy the content on the Models We Live By podcast, you'll enjoy the content on jointheresonance.com. The Resonance is a church consulting agency that also provides a platform for leaders and learners to meet each other, have open discussion, and continue their learning with original online courses. I wonder how that feels going from being perceived in society as a white male to going to this extremely marginalized identity as a trans woman. 
How, what did that feel like? How has that been? Ah, so many tears. Okay. Absolutely. Because the first thing, and, and I said this before on this podcast, was the, the moment that I was in the grocery store here on 25th. Mm-hmm. And I felt so feminine. Mm-hmm. I put on my wedges. Mm-hmm. I had shorts on. Mm-hmm. I had a t-shirt that I liked. My hair was nice. I had beautiful makeup on. Mm-hmm. And I arrived there and this guy stands two feet behind me the entire time I'm in the store, follows me around like a creeper. Wow. And I come home, I'm crying. I was like, Kim, Kim, listen to what happened. And of course, Kim mm-hmm. grabs me and, and comforts me. Mm-hmm. And when the time was right, she said, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Yeah. But I also want to tell you something. Welcome to womanhood. That moment, I'm like, oh wow. my everything. I never realized that when you say you feel unsafe on the streets, just as a regular white yes. woman, mm-hmm. we're talking about one one layer of marginalization. In. Yes. Yes. Just one layer. Yes. And it's already unsafe. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was my first experience when I'm realizing, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah. And, and of course... A lot has happened since then, mm-hmm. like from from death threats to bullies on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? What is going on right now? Mm-hmm. I feel safe in, in my own sphere and, and mm-hmm. my, my support group, mm-hmm. but it has beaten me up. Mm-hmm. And likewise, when I finally started to come up mm-hmm. with, with, with my Asian-ness, I remember going, and this is not long ago, mm-hmm. So I was in Denver at a post-evangelical conference yeah. and it was a BIPOC group. Yeah. I didn't show up mm. because I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. This is for people of color. And Tonetta, yes. Pastor Tonetta in D.C., who is a black woman, said, why didn't you show up? Mm-hmm. Number one, I felt seen mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because there was no question on I should have been there. Exactly. And number two, it, it really, really got me to terms of like, wow, right. that is deeply, deeply, deeply embedded. Mm-hmm into mm-hmm. me yeah you live at the you live in so many different intersections yeah, yeah. I, I just think that's fascinating to say you know uh, there's something there Mish, when i'm thinking about you know obviously you were not a white man but but being perceived in society right, right exactly and getting some of the goodies probably that came yeah. with oh, that yeah. perception to going i choose me and that means choosing marginalization there is something very beautiful and just fascinating about that choice and why somebody would make that choice. And I think that there's a lot you offer us in that because you're saying that, I mean, it, it really is a picture of what this world, you know, this world of whiteness has to offer me. Yes. It's not enough. Yes. I would actually rather be fully me and experience more marginalization, right? Yeah. Than to live into this facade of whiteness and get goodies in America like absolutely but you know so many people need that story because I think what you do you may people may follow you all the way into becoming their true selves Mm. but they might also just follow you out of whiteness right like and that's my hope you know my story is completely different from yours but I'm thinking my hope is that people like remove whiteness from the equation and become themselves that's right you know can we start there Yes. Yeah. Just do that. Stories like yours, story like mine, mm-hmm. together. Tell, yes. Tell such a powerful story. Yes. And they all have to do mm-hmm. with embracing yourself. Absolutely. All have to do with like, oh, look at me. This is how I am. And then we have the Genesis 3 story. No. Yes. 
no, nothing wrong mm-hmm. with you. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it's about invulnerability. Why else would somebody want to know about all good and all evil? So the person, right? Like, so in our worldview, right? The person with all the knowledge, supposed all knowledge, yeah, makes themselves most vulnerable by learning, right? <laughs> yeah, and communing with these very limited people. And I think that vulnerability is about limitation, and we often will. We hate limitation, but even the divine is okay with limitation, right? Yeah. Like existing yeah. in time, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? like, exactly. You know, setting these poles on the days. Like there, there are ways that limitation can can be helpful and open up a space for you. And uh-huh. I feel like that Genesis three is about. I don't somehow that serpent said, "You don't want limitation." Yes limitation will haunt you limitation will hurt you yeah no it won't the boundary lines fall in pleasant places that's right right they're there for they're there for a good reason yes i'm always reminded because i came to turns long before i was queer with limitation Mm. and i likened it to i'm gonna go geek on you go for it i'm gonna go geek on you i likened it to python the programming language because i was teaching high schoolers python and like why is stuff like this why do we have to write it in a certain way so you Mm -hmm. don't have to write in a certain way but it will make your program break Mm -hmm. and when you break it you need to patch it Mm. so if you code python in a limitless way you constantly have to patch because your program is not working as it's intended wow but when you fit within the limitations you experience freedom yeah you can build programs you can build apps much faster Mm -hmm. you have to patch them less Mm -hmm. often you Mm -hmm. can iterate on them to make them better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all within the limitation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's nothing limiting about limitation Mm. Again, another one of those ambiguous terms that I think we as queer people yes. just find easier to grasp because we have lived it. Yes. Yes. To feel that. So it's, it's beautiful now because I think now it's so interesting to think about how for me now the limitation is love. Right. So I will not go as far so as to not love. Mm. Mm. That's a limit for me. Yes. Right. And I think when you juxtapose that with this limitless love of the divine, right? It's just so beautiful to think about all of these different ways that the words that we use, that our finitude can be a gift and can be so beautiful for us to say, we've got like, what, like 120 years. What are we going to do? Yes. And it becomes exciting. I'm going to fully be me and then I'm going to do what I'm here to do. Yes. Um, and I just think there's so many people out here that that have not been given permission to really do that. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they'll get it from you and me and more folks like us. Right? Yeah, let's like, go. That's what I'm hoping. No, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's just not worth for something we don't know for sure. Yeah. To live a life of misery, <laughs> misery. for something you don't have objective certainty about. Yeah, that's right. Not me. Definitely not me. Living, choosing what we said earlier, choosing the marginalization. Yes. Uh, or, or choosing is a complex word, right? But let's just use it for the, the sake of this, yes. this, this, this topic. Choosing my marginalization has granted me more freedom. Yes. And you see this in this Nazarene, right? Well, you know, if you love real hard, it might get you killed. Yes. So that's what we say, okay? So then, okay, if we follow that, 
then that means I'm going to love real hard, starting with me. Yes. And it might cost me some stuff. Yes. But it's not as costly as it was not to be me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I am looking forward. My professor, Professor Lawrence, if you're listening, hi. Um, <laughs> hi. <laughs> he said, we need, we need a more solid queer theology. And what he meant was like, there are books called queer theology. Yes. And then there's pockets here and there of queer theologians. Mm -hmm. But there's no queer theology like there's black theology. Mm -hmm. There's no queer theology like there's womanist theology mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or liberation theology mm -hmm. in general, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to yes. what this next batch of theologians is going to bring Me out in too. the next 10 years. Me too. Me too. I, I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. I'm really yes. excited about it. You know, Richmond has UPSM mm -hmm. with women's theology mm -hmm. like at its center. Maybe, yep. maybe Richmond needs to. Hey, you hey, know, hey! If you're listening, Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, yes, go absolutely. ahead and go for it. Let me ask you two more questions. Yeah. One is my my standard question that I'm asking everybody, which is, what would you say to the millions of Tamises? Mm -hmm. We'll get to that mm -hmm. in, in a little bit, mm -hmm. but. I have a lot of pet peeves mm -hmm. in scripture. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, for example, Romans 1, yes. therefore God will give them over to their own desires, men doing abominable things with other men. And instead of thinking, oh, men doing terrible things with other men, they're going to they're gonna start selling heroin together. They automatically yes. go to homosexuality that's because true. that's in our mental models, mm -hmm. right? Therefore, the title of this podcast, The Models We Live By. Yes. What are some pet peeves of mm -hmm. you in scripture that you think, listen, Ooh. I have the microphone right now. People need to hear about this. Second Timothy 3.16. <laughs> I know it. All scriptures God breathed. Right? And <laughs> we have been told that, and that has been used to be a conversation stopper mm -hmm. instead of a starter. Because the way we can read that text is that all God breathed scripture is useful. So how now the question becomes... Is this inspired? How does it play out? Yes. So I get to decide what the divine inspired word of God is, right? Based on how it plays out. Is it useful for teaching, correction, for building up? Is it doing that? If it mm -hmm. is, there you go. You've got inspired word of God. But they've taken it and said this whole book is the word of God and it is inspired. You cannot go outside of that's it. Right. Well, see, that's what happens when you have bad mental models. Yes. It's like this book becomes a restraint, right? As opposed to an on-ramp. And, and to me, I that is my pet peeve. The fact that people won't allow for the possibility that there are different ways to read this text, even not even going on that journey based on the fruit that you see of yes. how we've been reading it. Yeah. <laughs> you see the fruit of how you've been reading it in society. So something's got to give, right? Right. And I'm I, that to me is the pet peeve, that passage right there. People Oof. use that for all kinds of stuff. They make the Bible into a tool and a prop. Absolutely. Um, and I, I hate that. Yes, yes. If if my wife was here, she would laugh that you would say that because though, though definitely my top three yeah. as well. Really? Like I'm not I'm not necessarily <laughs> sensitive to when people believe in inerrancy, yeah, I personally have ideas about it, right? Mm -hmm. But if people want to believe in inerrancy, it's fine. Mm -hmm. However, this conversation, Second Timothy three sixteen, directly says no. 
your interpretation of scripture is wrong mm-hmm. because how I interpret scripture is the correct way and yes. therefore it trumps yours. Or we, we, we get to see things, we have to get creative hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Like if Paul says misogynistic things, mm-hmm. two possibilities could happen. We could say, okay, this, this was Paul. He lived in the first century. Mm-hmm. If he's the author, it's mm-hmm. not weird that he's misogynistic. Or Paul can impossibly misogynistic. We, we must, and now you have to use creative hermeneutics right. and say, no, Paul actually meant this. Well, it sure looks like yeah. Paul says that, and maybe we should just leave it in the first century. Yes, I'm fine with that. Yes. I can read scripture like that and still feel that scripture has authority. Yes, in a in a in a healthy, yes. sustainable way. Yeah. But I'm not fine the moment Mm-mm. what we see right now: complementarianism, yes. anti queerness, or anti blackness. Exactly, exactly. But you know, it's funny because it can st- it, the authority, the why of the authority is all that changes. Right. Like if the Bible is authoritative in my life because it's inerrant. Yes. Then that's not really faith. That's like I can't believe in something that is not spotless and perfect. Yeah. But we don't even when even when God talks about being perfect, it's about Mm -hmm. wholeness. It's not about like unblemished. You know what I mean? Like it's not this sort of whiteness way that we think about perfection, which is really this a white standard, right? Of perfection. But no, the scripture has a lot of authority, even more so I would say Mm -hmm. in my life, because I don't need it to be inerrant to speak to me. That's right. But we don't require that of anybody, not even Google. No. We look at two or three different links. (laughs) Like, okay, this doesn't seem right. Let's go to the next one. Exactly. We don't apply that hermeneutic in any other area exactly, in our life. Exactly. So And it's it's agitating to me how that has become at the center, that whole inerrancy speak mm-hmm. has come at the center of this fundamentalist yes. uh turned into conservative mm-hmm. evangelical conversation. I'm like, listen, there is a lot hinging on what I think is mm-hmm. a flawed mm-hmm. piece of interpretation. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I was a kid and yes. I asked the question, like, why is the Bible inerrant? And my father would say, 2 Timothy 3.16. It's like, <laughs> but what yes. about these 10 books that were not written yet? Yes. Like, is it also speaking about that? It's mm-hmm. like, well, if it's not speaking about that, then at least it's speaking about the other 56 yes. books. Everything it's came like, up you're, to this. You're already giving some. Mm-hmm. You're already giving up some real estates. Mm-hmm. Are you that committed to this doctrine? Or, Come on, or, or is it just nearly willy? Mm-hmm. As a kid, I already could not see the, the logic in right. it because it just doesn't right. seem right. Yes. And then I grew up and I saw all the injustices yes. that were done Ooh, in the yeah. name of scripture. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you when you use the Bible, like especially the way that fundamentalists do, they try to claim a piece of its authority. Yes. That's why they love inerrancy so much. Right. It's it's clearly It's not me. Written. It's the Bible. Exactly. They would say things like it's clearly written in scripture. Sorry, the word is clear. The yeah. Bible's clear on this. Yeah. No, it's not. Exactly. <laughs> every every anti-trans hearing yes. or anti-queer hearing or anti-drag show hearing yes. in the last couple of weeks, there's always one person comes mm-hmm. up. Well, the Bible is clear. It's mm-hmm. a sin. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is relevant to the law, <laughs> number one, even if it was clear. Right, there you go. But it is not clear. Right, that's exactly right. <laughs> there you go. That's a whole other podcast. Like, wait, yeah. what does sin have to do with democracy? I don't know yeah, what yeah, y'all yeah, are. Exactly. <laughs> okay, hold on now. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, sure. It's that whiteness. 
Oof. But let me end with this. Yeah. What piece of advice would you give to the millions of Tamises out there? Yeah. What would you tell yourself if you saw yourself when you were 14 years old? If I was talking to me at 14, which is extremely interesting age that you picked, because <laughs> uh, I had a massive trauma at that Ooh. age, I would say you don't have to hide. I would say you are the bomb and you're going to have a kick-ass life. I would say that to myself. I think at that age, I needed something to look forward to. I couldn't see very far out in front of me. Yes. So if I, 39-year-old me is looking at 14-year-old me, you don't need to hide. You're the bomb. Yes. You're going to have a kick-ass life. Absolutely. That's it. I mean, look at you now. Look at me now. I'm happy. I'm in my skin. That's right. I'm leaning in. We there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's right. I'm riding this puppy out. Yes, exactly. I don't know. My skin became better (laughs) since I got older. Partly it's estrogen. I have to. But Asian don't Asian even. (laughs) So so (laughs) I'm just not gonna age. Yes, yes. I started skincare later in life, but I am happy. I get every time people like wait. You do have beautiful skin, though. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) I never heard that. Asian don't raisin, raisin, and black don't crack. That's right. Here we go. That's right. (laughs) We're going to be here. Marginalized people have a lot in common. That's right. Y'all need to listen to us. Also the beauty things. (laughs) All I'm saying. we live by podcast i want to thank you all for listening and it would be great if you can give me a follow on tiktok or instagram my username is at mishvanessen on both platforms the music is by agst and the song is called flaw go listen to their music next week's episode is with bridget black so be ready to check out that episode next tuesday until then